welcome to the Disambiguation Podcast, where each week we try to remove some of the confusion around AI and business automation by talking to experts across a broad spectrum of business use cases and the supporting technology. I'm your host, Michael Fawcett. If you're new to the show, we release a new episode every Friday as a podcast on all the major podcast channels, on YouTube as a video, and we also post a transcript on the Arian Research blog in case you want to stop by and read it. In our show today, we take a look at AI for customer experience, and I'm excited to be joined by Vanessa Thompson, who's the Vice President of Product Marketing at Twilio. Vanessa, hey, welcome. Mike. Hey. Thank you. So nice uh, to be here. Yeah. Love, love that you were able to join in. And uh, if you could, just give us a little bit of your background and kind of what you do at Twilio and, you know, whatever stuff you want yeah. to brag about. Sounds great. I'll give you my brag sheet, Mike. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm Vanessa Thompson, Vice President of Product Marketing at Twilio. My role covers the product marketing teams, includes competitive intelligence, our analyst relations function, as well as our developer network team, which includes all of our evangelists, the developer documentation, and some of our dev content. Uh, as part of my career, I sort of grew up uh, being an industry analyst, I actually worked with Mike at IDC for many, many years. I was formerly a, a senior VP of customer experience at a Salesforce consulting firm called Blue Wolf. Uh, and I really started my career in, in banking and government back in my home country of New Zealand. So I, I did spend a lot of time like in the industry, really getting to know some of those hardcore IT problems. That was a lot of fun too. Yeah, that's great. And I think it, it does give you a, an interesting background because you've worked in IT in a business, you've worked as an analyst and now doing product marketing. Um, so different perspectives. So I, I really do yeah. appreciate it. I, I'm excited about the conversation because obviously this is, you know, generative AI in customer experience is one of the hottest areas. And, you know, I spent all week last week in San Francisco at Dreamforce. So I heard an awful lot about, about uh, generative AI and customer experience. So uh, anyway, let's just jump into it. Um, so I, I'm just curious, I'd like to start maybe, let's just talk a little bit about what you're seeing today with customer experience and, and how uh, AI is being used and maybe some of the more impactful use cases that you've seen. Yeah, I mean, Mike, I think you just said it, right? Generally speaking, AI is here and burst onto the scene really around the chat GPT kind of era when that kind of got kicked off. But I think prior to that point in time, you know, AI wasn't really well understood or at least the generative AI elements, right? And so I think a lot of our developer network crew were playing around with GPT-3 back then and like really kind of curious and, and thinking through what kind of use cases can we support. But it wasn't really until it became sort of a consumer household name that we really started to get the groundswell of interest. Um, it, in it across across kind of the broad spectrum uh, of buyers that we we usually talk to, and so if almost every CX buyer that we're talking to right now is asking about how, how AI can enhance their customer experience, uh, and I'd actually really like to share an example about yeah, how we show up uh, in some of our customers, and so for. Our Twilio Flex, which is our digital engagement experience for sales and support, uh, we're able to bring in real-time data from multiple enterprise systems and, and have that like show up inside the, the agent experience. And so one of our customers is Health First, the New York's largest nonprofit health insurer. Mm -hmm. 
And they were able to take data from offline and online sources, including visits to health clinics and interactions on their website or on their app, as well as calls made into the call center. And that all feeds into a customer profile that's available inside our contact center experience uh, tool of Flex. Hmm. <clears throat> and so the data that's available from inside that uh, agent experience HealthBurst can actually use all of those insights to enable them to guide members around offerings, provide them with personalized experiences. They can automate some of it and they can also like have a human in the loop, like having a mm -hmm. conversation without, with, with somebody if they have exception based questions or something like that. And so, you know, the coolest thing about this though is as a nonprofit, automation and AI to be able to help make them more efficient is just a huge win for them. So prior to using Flex and um, well, Flex Unified generally, they were only able to enroll two or three new members per day per agent. And now they have scaled that up to around seven new members per day. So think about that as a 250% yeah productivity increase, that's just huge, right? And so when we think about like, how does this impact the experience, especially in customer experience, I think that the, the numbers are just phenomenal. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's an uh, impressive return. And, you know, I see that a lot of use cases um, are around force multiplier, and I think that's an mm -hmm. interesting one. Now, it sounds like they're using this both as a way to interact directly with the patients, but then also to assist the agent um, is that, yeah. Okay. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. It's like a, like a, like an agent assist sort of function too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, is, is there anything, I mean, that the only challenge I wonder there is, is around the data. I mean, is that, uh, is that anything that they've done special there to, to meet all their HIPAA requirements, that sort of thing? And you may not know, yeah, it, but I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, I think like, um, I won't go into the sort of specific requirements, yeah. but I will just say generally, like. The idea of getting your data in order so that you can take advantage of AI is just something that yeah. everyone we talk to right now is is kind of reckoning with. Like, And it's really important just to recognize that everybody's going to be struggling with the same problem that you are, and it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask for help. And, and just generally, like, every company has their own sort of skeletons or like messiness or spaghetti of data and so they have to kind of work through uh what is most important so um, i mean i will just say like for the customer experience side and especially for the contact centers they've historically relied on static sources which mm. don't change they're not real time um, and they can quickly become outdated and irrelevant. And so one of the things that we can now do with some of these generative capabilities, as well as like uh, bringing in multiple data sources from like data warehouses or being able to synchronize profiles, those kinds of things to bring them into the experience, uh, we're able to solve some of those issues that you know, previously maybe an agent had to bring up five or 10 mm -hmm. different screens so that they could understand like what's going on here and there with, with different parts of the customer experience. And so like knowing that there's data behind every source or every screen that that agent has got got up in the, in the moment, like the knowledge of that in and of itself is helpful. And then mm -hmm. really trying to figure out like, okay, what problem am I trying to solve first? And what's the most meaningful to me yeah. to help me show that 
that I can produce those kinds of productivity gains we talked about earlier. Yeah, that, that's cool. I mean, and, and I would imagine from a, uh, even from an employee experience, that has to be a real uh, enhancement for their, uh, you know, for their jobs to be able to have information that they can trust that's at their fingertips all the time, rather than having to dig around and five or six different screens to pull it together. Yeah. So in my, uh, in my AI adoption survey that I did last month, um, data quality actually was the number one concern when, when you ask about data, which doesn't necessarily, you know, surprise me because again, that is something that I've heard quite a bit. Um, is there anything else that, that you think from a best practice standpoint around data quality that, you know, that you would be willing to share or that you think would be interesting for us to know? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the way that we think about it is really in the context of the agent experience. And so if you think about the two main components, it's like first we think about the customer profile, like what information do we need to know about the, the customer, what they're doing, the key information, making sure that like that's up to date. It's also identity resolved and like all of that information is kind of correct. Uh, and then it's connecting with all the rest of the data from the data warehouse, like what other data sources and other things can we connect to that profile to make sure that mm -hmm. um, it's all kind of showing up in the right way. The other part about it, though, is like all of the other information, let's call it, that you can bring into the experience. So in our experience, we think about it as inferred traits predictive traits and computed traits. Hmm. So think of inferred trait like uh, something you can collect from a customer conversation. Like for example, I'm at a hotel, I call down to the desk, hey, I would like a different pillow. Like that's kind of technically something hmm. that you could infer uh, as a trait about me and something mm -hmm. that we could then add to my profile and it would show up inside my experience. Uh, and then like some of the predictive or computed traits are things around like what is a customer's propensity to buy like how many orders have they made previously like that can be computed from my data source of um, of orders uh, and then other things uh, like lifetime value as a prediction in terms of like how based on the things that i have previously ordered like what else would i uh, or should i uh, be buying from you in future and what is my future potential like lifetime value as a customer. So there, is, there are some ways to think about like how can we compute and predict like the likelihood of a customer doing something else versus like what is everything that I know about the customer in this moment. Mm. So so you almost get like an assessment from a loyalty perspective too then because you're, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Um, so, so as a part of what you're talking about, it is really this um, human in the loop kind of uh, idea, or I, I wrote something not long ago, uh, human machine collaboration. So, I mean, is that something that um, you guys are working with companies on? Because obviously uh, agents, you've got systems that can, can deal with customers directly without a human in the loop and then with. So talk a little yeah. bit about that. I mean, I think... Um... Mostly the way that we like to think about it is like this, you should be focused on having a human-centric human experience anyway, right? Like the human in the loop is really only to make sure that the experience is going to be 
you know, magical for your customer, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that like you can't make it human centric. And so I want to share another story, actually, if you don't mind, right? Yeah, that'd be great. About another one of our customers. They're called Travel Perk. And so they are a Barcelona based corporate travel management company. And so, you know, part of their secret source is their the experience that people have with them and their platform. Hmm. And so, you know, they really wanted to more deeply understand their users uh, before they began booking trips on the platform. And so the, the, the issues that they were running into, though, were kind of what we talked about earlier. They didn't understand what was going on with their customers. They didn't have that full profile. They also didn't have a bunch of standard procedures around how to deal with data governance. And so they had to Mm -hmm. kind of think through all of that and put the structure in place to be able to, to take advantage of all that data and build the insights so that they could use it. And so what they, what they do now is they collect and standardize data across all their different business units through one platform on our, on our Trilio segment CDP. Mm -hmm. And then because they use the CDP so extensively, they're able to build out an extremely robust profile that they bring into the Twilio Flex contact center platform. And so now they can really get to that next level engagement experience that they were kind of striving for Mm. and really deeply understands their customers. And so from a metrics perspective, uh, they are looking at around a 95% NPS score, which is, is pretty solid, right? Yeah, like the amazing, travel right? industry yeah. g- generally is like kind, kind of diabolical when you think about oh, yeah, some of yeah. the kinds of customer <laughs> experiences. Like it's not as bad as some of the wireless carriers. They're getting better. Everyone's getting better, <laughs> but I think like generally speaking, that is an excellent NPS. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. It is, yeah. it is a pretty amazing result. I, I, I can tell you after my last trip to uh, San Francisco, the airline that I flew, I will let them remain nameless, would not be anywhere near the 95. <laughs> <laughs> Travel yeah, and right. as uh, you hear people complain about it all the time. And, and so that is amazing in an industry where there are a lot of things that can go wrong. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But I think that's also the thing that we're grappling with in the industry, right? Like balancing expectations with experience. And I think we've always had this gap between what a business thinks is a great experience and what a customer believes is the right experience for them. And so like the companies that are doing really well here are using data uh, and context and all of that these some of these newer sort of AI based and um, elements to really bring together what does like a really good experience look like and how can we help engage those customers in a meaningful way and so yeah I think the customers that are doing a good job here are, re- are really winning winning yeah. more. Well, I, and I you know we used to talk about like experiences in a way like oh this is over the top how you know it's amazing that mm-hmm. sort of thing but most of the time the truth is people just want things to work. Like they don't really, it doesn't have to be some amazing new experience, but if you have the data and you can keep things flowing and you deliver where you're supposed to, I mean, to me, that seems like the, you know, that is the ultimate experience really. And once in a while you wow me, cool. 
but <laughs> but in the meantime, um, so one of the things you talked about in there, I thought was interesting though. So, um, and and this, I think a lot of companies, you know, struggle with because they have a lot of data silos, they have data scattered mm -hmm. everywhere and having a way to focus the data collection and build the profiles out in a CDP, which is, you know, something a lot of companies have, have worked on, but they're still implementing. I mean, is that a common sort of approach that you've seen with, with the customers you've worked with? They build out this kind of central collection point to manage the data? Yeah, it really depends on the, the company, right? I think like from a customer experience perspective, and at least in the contact center, I think the CDP concept is, isn't, isn't something that they're used to. Yeah. It's, it potentially is owned by a marketing department or like some other department. It feels a little bit foreign to them, but I do think like the, the places where we've seen like the travel book example, where they really focused in on like building that really nice, like data governance kind of experience. It does mean that it can disseminate out through the rest of the organization. So if, as a customer experience leader, if you're really thinking about, you know, how should I pay attention? Well, actually start asking questions, be curious about like what data you do have and how can you use it to your best advantage is probably the first start. I mean, everybody, we kind of all have to start somewhere. And, and I think like just being curious and, and kind of asking questions is the right place. Um, but I will say like I, from, from our perspective and from kind of how we're thinking about it um, in terms of like vision is really thinking about how can we bring all of those data elements into the contact center or customer engagement experience and in, in kind of a a low touch way, right? Like we don't want customer experience leaders to have to really think about the data necessarily. We just want them to be able to share like, okay, well, here are the things that I need to bring into my profile. And here's how I would like to think about, you know, how to move the agent experience forward. So like if, if something like web page views or like, I just want to see when this person went to the support pages or the returns page or something like that. If that's something that you feel like you need to bring into the agent experience, it's possible now for us to do some of those kinds of things and build integrations like, and actually just use AI to just bring it into the experience. And, and you know, I think thinking, abstracting away from like the data layer itself, I think, you know, we, we're, we're really trying to think through, okay, what is the difference between an integration and how you use AI? They are quite different. Like integration versus AI is quite different because in the past, like the general, except, generally accepted like concept was like, gosh, I've got to integrate this system and that system to be able to move data around. And like, that's, we don't have to do that kind of thing anymore. And there's a bunch of really cool things that help us leapfrog some of those old behaviors uh, that get us to like a much better, um, better view. So. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I, I think the, the one thing that I've seen over the last year, finally, is that, um, CDP in general, like, I think you're right. It was originally this marketing thing, mm -hmm. right. And, and, and it always bothered me because 
that just creates another silo. Why would you, why is, why does that make sense? Like the point is that you, everybody needs access to the customer profile and data, uh, particularly in sales and marketing and customer service and finance. And so, you know, if you have a way to consolidate it, why wouldn't you use it across all those different things? So, yeah, I think that, that sounds, it sounds like it's creeping at least into the customer service part of the business, which is great. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the most successful, I'll just say like the most successful companies that we work with and they have segments everywhere. And mm-hmm. so like they are really kind of embracing like that, the ability to um, bring in like the their total sort of organizational worldview in terms of like what's mm-hmm. going on in their environment and, and really coalescing around a segment to help them do that. Yeah, that that to me again, that's a very logical way to think of it. Is this, mm-hmm. you know, use cases ac- exist all across the business? So that's yeah. yeah, that's good. So so just shifting back out again to AI in general and, and generative AI, particularly in um, in CX. What what are some of the more promising use cases? What what are people doing with it that you think are unique or or that you know the audience would be interested in? Yeah, I think. Um... My my commentary here is really around just the the framing for the inferred traits, predictive traits, and computer traits. So I think um, instead of just kind of talking through use cases, because every company is a little bit different, they'll want to implement a little bit differently, but just sort of structurally, like what can you know about what your customers are doing and how important is that information to bring it into the context of the conversation. Mm. So that's the inferred traits piece. Mm. Uh, what do you need to compute to help you provide that like in a moment point of view around like what a customer has done? Like, is it the number of orders? It is, is it the order value? Is it something like, is it store visits? Like, I don't, I don't know exactly what right. it might be, but is there something that you need to compute to help you figure through like how to um, give your agent or mm. like system the best point of view of, of what's going on? And then like, what else do you need to predict, right? Is there a churn predictor? Is there a lifetime value predictor? Like, and, and it could even be like on a scale or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like one of the use cases that we were looking at is, you know, is this sort of low churn or medium churn or high churn right, risk? Right, and like, right. you know, at, at what at what scale is the customer at risk? And can we provide some pre-prompted, you know, scripts for somebody to kind of talk someone through if they if they automatically show up as a high churn risk do we want to add like another agent to the conversation even before they get to you know the um first level conversation is there somebody else that we need to be added? like is there a retention specialist or something that they needed to get routed to even before um, Mm. the first person picks up the call and so i think there's like some really interesting ways to think through how to innovatively use AI to help manage some of that risk profile. Yeah. Cause a lot of that risk is hard to manage because we can't do it in real time, but now we can actually. Yeah. And so being able to proactively go through some of those scenarios is, is pretty interesting. 
Mm. I mean, two two things jump out there as I'm listening to that is that it, it it's almost like saying just step back and take a broader lens across everything that you're doing because you can use AI in very strategic ways. Uh, particularly around the predictive capabilities, if you have the data, to 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 help you with whatever that problem might be, and it and it could be churn, it could be, you know, uh, increasing revenues or whatever, right? It, it's uh, it depends on what it is, but but it's but the advice of you know step back and think of it in a strategic way, not just tactics. That I think that's a a great way for uh, companies to to think about it. Yeah. Um, so, so that sort of leads me to the ultimate question that I get asked all the time, and I'm sure you do too. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's the, when should we get in and what should we do? And, and should we do anything with AI now? Or, you know, maybe it's just too crazy out there. Maybe we should wait for a year. Or, you know, what, what advice do you give uh, companies that are, are thinking about and not haven't gotten in yet? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I will give you my, um, my sort of starting advice, like starting is hard. I think starting anything in life is hard. And so this is just such a huge conversation that, and sometimes it can feel intimidating. Maybe there's, there's a lot of sort of barriers that you feel like, gosh, I've got to get myself fully educated on this topic before I put a proposal together for my superiors or something like that. But I think like getting comfortable with the fact that like this is new to everyone and you really just have to get started. We talked a little bit earlier about data being really messy. We know it's messy. And so that's something we also have to just accept and kind of move through and get comfortable again with the messiness. And so like, if you are just getting started, like personally educate yourself, like go look at some of the tools that can help you and kind of go and do some things in your consumer life and see it, see how they work and like get comfortable with like sort of the consumer experience. But then also propose some sort of lower risk or smaller proof of concept projects so that you can sort of test the edges about your level of comfort, but also your team skills. And that way that helps you build kind of confidence on your ability to take on something of a larger scope. I think the folks that are moving fastest, I would say, have already spent a ton of time being really thoughtful and intentional about their data strategy. And so getting straight with uh, how to organize your data in a meaningful way, like make sure that you know like where to look for things. I think like those are the the pieces um, or the, the 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 cases where we see like folks be able to move the fastest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that that makes sense. You know, the, the other thing that sort of strikes me, too, when I think about it is considering everything that's happened since ChatGPT was introduced in like November last year, um, November, December. Think about just from there to here, like even some of the tools that I tried in January that were unusable that now I use every day because mm -hmm. they've evolved so quickly. And I think. You know, the, in that in that survey that I did last month, one of the other things that came out was one of their biggest fears and problems, challenges is um, internal skills are getting right. this right skills, and then the second one was finding finding partners that have the right skills. So it's it's all really the same thing, right? It's the fact that skills are you know still not necessarily available, but if you 
if you don't do it now and you try to do it a year from now, it's going to be completely different then. And things have happened along the way that you just didn't have a part in. So to me, it seems like a risk, a bigger risk to not do it than it is to, to jump in and at least do some pilots and figure out what you want to do with it. Yeah. I mean, in some ways it's the risk of doing nothing is high. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would just, I would just advocate for being curious and uh, really trying to meet the moment, right? Like this is a huge moment in uh, technology. Uh, our, our CEO, Jeff, really talks about this as like the latest big shift since, you know, for the longest time, right? Like I think we, we truly haven't seen um, a technology shift this dramatic. And I think mobile was sort of it, but actually it might not be as big. Like this might be bigger than mobile even, right? And so uh, it does feel like a moment that you can meet with a growth mindset or you can probably and maybe uh, get a little bit left behind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I sort of think about it like uh, it's more transformational, like uh, like the big platform shifts, like, you know, mainframe to client server, client server mm-hmm. to cloud, um, those kinds of things, because this is really the, you know, the next generation of a lot of things. Even to me, I even think, you know, we t- mobile was, was very disruptive in its own way, but I think Gen AI may be more disruptive to mobile than, than it, right. you know, because it is changing the way we use those tools as well. So yeah, that's, right. that's interesting. Well, you know, one of the things that companies um, need to do is measure, you know, watch the metrics and understand, you know, are they getting uh, return for what they're doing? And so, right. you know, what, how are companies measuring the ROI and, you know, how are they, how do they determine if their metrics are on track using these new tools and technologies yeah i mean part of it is just the metrics themselves i um i was watching something recently which was a professor in a classroom scolding like all of the students because 90 percent of them had used chat gpt for their homework uh and he was like i'm gonna fail 90 percent of you because you all use this for your homework and for those that didn't like good on you, but used to, you know, like not everybody was getting a good grade here. But I think that's, that's uh, illustrative of the difference and the challenge now, right? Like it will be part of uh, how a student operates and how a student kind of creates their, mm-hmm. um, their work. But what is the next piece on like what they do with the information that they get? Like what is the additional uh, creativity, what is the additional insight, what is the additional clarity that they bring on top of what the, the computer can generate for them. And so like from a metrics perspective, I think the concept or the mindset should be very similar in that like you can automate a lot of what we had to do uh, before, but the ROI could really look different based on like what you want that that kind of outcome to look like so we talked a little bit about um some customers of ours and health first is a great example mm-hmm. right because they took a productivity approach to how they're thinking about roi um you know if you can process two to three applications per day now you can go to seven like that's mm-hmm. huge as a yeah. non-profit for them like they don't have to hire more people to do the processing. They can 
they can get through a higher volume and ultimately like they can do more good. And so for them, that's just a huge bonus. Um, I also think like to that, that point about, um, you know, the university and like where you can add creativity, clarity, color to like what the computer generates for you. In some ways, there's also a view around like exception management. Like how do you review what that what it provides you to make sure that it's correct? Uh, it is like the intent is correct and, and that's the human in the loop piece. And so I think I suspect, and we don't really know how this is going to play out yet to some extent, but I think there'll probably be some sort of human in the loop uh, exception management type um, metrics that show up uh, over and above like the ROI. And so the, you know, if you think about it from an OKR perspective, like maybe there's a broader objective to use the generative AI and then the, the key results will be focused around sort of how are we managing exceptions and, and how mm. well, things like that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, and I mean, it obviously varies a good bit by the use case and specific Correct. strategy yeah. too. So that, yeah, yeah. That, that, that makes more sense to me. Well, I, I could keep going with this for another couple of hours, but yeah, <laughs> I suspect yeah. that we'd lose our audience if we <laughs> tried to ramble on that long. Um, so that's really all the time we have. And I really appreciate you joining me today. Great information. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, I learned a lot and I know the audience will too. So thank you. Uh, before I let you go though, one of the things that I always ask the guest is, you know, could you, did you recommend someone, a thought leader, an author, a mentor, somebody who's influenced your career and you'd like to share that so that, you know, other people could learn from them too? Yeah. Well, I had the privilege of working with, with you and for you, Mike, for like five years of my career. And so that was fantastic. I, I learned a ton. You're one of my, my main mentors, but I think, uh, there is someone that I, I came across a few years ago. Her name is Shelley Archambault. And I first heard about her on a Reid Hoffman Masters of Scale podcast. And he did this fantastic interview with her where she talked about her career. And she is just unapologetically ambitious. And I just love that about how she operates. Uh, she basically took a look at how she what her playbook to being successful should should look like. And she kind of went and executed that playbook. And then she got a name for herself as a sort of a turnaround CEO in Silicon mm. Valley here. And so like she has this really great story about uh, working at Blockbuster and pitching them on an online business model. And when they said no, she was like, okay, that sounds great. I don't think this is a good fit for me. Yeah, um, and so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I think, she, you know, and that's, that's one of those moments where sometimes um, as business leaders, you kind of roll over a moment and you don't realize the significance of a moment like that. And similarly, like the AI, this big shift in AI is one of those moments. But I, I just thought that was really inspirational that she kind of was able to have the self-awareness to look through at that moment and go, okay, this is not for me. I'm going to move on to my next thing that I think is a meaty enough challenge for me. So yeah, yeah she would be, she would be my pick. Yeah. Some, sometimes stepping back and moving on is, is a hard, is harder yeah. than, than you think. And certainly it's the right thing to do. Uh, you know, I love masters of scale that, that Reed Hoffman uh, podcast is great. I've been listening to it for quite a while. It's mm -hmm. uh, there's some really interesting things there. So thanks. Yeah, I appreciate appreciate that. Thanks for sharing. Uh, and for, to the audience, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, remember to hit the subscribe button. 
And for more on AI, if you go to the Arion Research site and click on the Research tab, you'll see an AI adoption report that we published last month. It's based on a survey from August. And in all things AI, the more current it is, the more important that is, because believe me, things are changing every week. So it's free research, free download. So check that out. And then check back uh, next week. We're going to have a special edition from London. Uh, I'll be at Sugar CRM's user conference and I have a few interesting uh, interviews set up. And, and they're making some interesting Gen AI announcements that I can't tell you now, but it'll be exciting, I know. Uh, so that's it. I'm uh, Michael Fawcett, and this is the Disambiguation Podcast.